2: Welcome to the Wednesday show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And as you just heard the announcer say, this is the word to stand on for life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, questions about church, whatever's on your heart. All you need to do is dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Everything else will be hands-free. Hey, thanks for tuning in uh, tonight. I'm going to be teaching uh, Second Kings chapter 18. We're going to start in verse 9. Um, chapters 18 and 19 are fabulous. I wish I could do them all at once, but that would take two hours. So we're going to do just the end of chapter eight, uh, 18 tonight and then 19... Next week, which is a really, really fun chapter to teach, we really see the power of God firsthand. And of course, tomorrow Paula will be live in the studio with me on the date day edition of the program. We'd love your calls and your participation on that as well. Okay, let's get to some questions while we await um, your phone calls. Here's a question that was sent into our email inbox by Kim, Pastor. On Proverbs ten twenty seven. It says, the fear of the Lord adds length to life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. Is the writer of Proverbs talking about our eternal life? Because we know, and we've seen many wicked people living long and prosperous lives here on the earth. What is Solomon really saying here? Kim, you need to understand that we don't make doctrine out of the poetic books. Psalms, Proverbs, um, uh, this is just a general truth of life. And what they're saying is... um, uh, being being honestly fearful of the Lord, I mean that in a filial way, um, means you're going to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord, and there's benefits to that. Likewise, the people that live wicked lives, um, there's going to be a lot of stress in their lives, and, uh, and they're going to be cut short. This has nothing to do with eternal life. This is just Solomon, remember, who's the smartest man who's ever lived, the wisest man who's ever lived, and he's just looking out, and he's noticing patterns, and Proverbs, in particular, is all about the patterns uh, he sees in the world around him and the in his personal commentary on those patterns. So, Kim, that's all he means. You know, if we're walking with Jesus, there's going to be less stress in our lives. If we're walking with Jesus, we're going to fulfill all the days of our lives uh, as ordained by God. But those who are living wicked lives, lives that are not pleasing to the Lord, uh, they're going to live lives. there are a lot of stress. You know, Paul and I have said in the past, uh, there is a look that sin has. And Kim, we see it all the time. People will come in here uh, just at the end of their rope. And you can see relatively young people who look decades older in some cases than they really are. And that's because living a life of sin takes its toll. There is a look that people who live in defiance against God have And it's easy to communicate. That's all Solomon is referring to, Kim. Thank you for the question. Appreciate it very, very much. Here is a question from Sarah from our email inbox as well. She says, I went to a ladies group the other night. And when we started praying for someone, the pastor's wife encouraged people to start praying at the same time. Then she asked people to start singing a song, and some started speaking in tongues, while others were still praying aloud and singing. I ended up leaving, but I asked the pastor's wife if I could speak to her about the way it was being run. What is your advice on what to talk to her about? I've already read through 1 Corinthians 14, and have familiarized myself with that package. I'm sorry, passage. I said package. Uh, Sarah, this is always a tough thing, especially if this isn't a normal church group that you're going to uh, where you don't really know the people. Um, I think talking to her uh, respectfully is appropriate. Uh, but, But you need to ask the questions. Obviously, you've been reading 1 Corinthians 14. You know that in a group where people are gathered together. Uh, people speaking in tongues at the same time out loud uh, is, is uh, uh, an out-of-order approach to the gathering. And, uh, and I, just, I would say to the pastor's wife, if I were you, I would just say, I'd like to talk to you about this. And if 1 Corinthians 14 says this, why did it involve everybody speaking in tongues or, or, or several speaking in tongues at the same time? Uh, and, and tell her that made you uncomfortable because it is in violation of what Scripture says and uh, say, you know, I want to give everybody the benefit out and find out why. Now, typically, Sarah, what you're going to find in churches like this or in gatherings like this is that they're charismatic. Now, I want to repeat to everybody in the audience, uh, Calvary Chapel is a charismatic church. We believe in the gift of tongues. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit and them operating today. I personally have the gift of tongues, But it's very important that we operate the gifts that God gives according to the standards or guidelines that he has provided. Uh, It ceases to be a gift. It ceases to be something that we can use with a grateful heart to honor the Lord when we're using it in violation of the rules that he set up. So I would just explain that to her. Uh, You were right to feel uncomfortable, um, but probably, Sarah, they just don't care. Um, there are a lot of charismatic groups that, that simply, um, don't accept the, the, the constraints. No, you know, you can't, if I've heard this one time, I've heard it a thousand, you can't put God in a box and, and, um, you know, God put himself in a box when he gave us those rules, those guidelines for the use of the gift of tongues. Uh, he's the one who put himself in that box. So, Sarah, I hope that helps and and, uh, is uh, easy to understand. Just talk to her. Just talk to her. Again, she probably won't care, but you will know to avoid that group uh, in the future. And hopefully, she'll just be very understanding and she will explain and maybe even take the correction uh, as a result. Thank you for the question and thanks for being discerning. Here's a question. Here's uh, Ruben on line one. Ruben, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
3: God bless you, Pastor Ron. I just love talking to you, and <laughs> just it's a blast. It's a blast. I, I pray that you're doing well today. Uh, I have a quick question. Um, uh, as I told you yesterday, and you, you know, I was I'm reading out the Book of Kings, Second Kings, and I'm reading about all these different, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, kings that came and, and took over over Judah and Jerusalem and I think it was Nebuchadnezzar the last three chapters maybe of second Mm -hmm. Kings it was just talking about how much lands they took over and what they did they uh, they destroyed the temple that I'm assuming it was a temple that Solomon built um, that he had built and that they had destroyed it and I was just wondering do you know exactly like mileage wise, it was talking about uh, the valley of Gedon, and uh, like uh, you, you know man, this is just out of pure curiosity, you know, like mileage wise or territory wise around Jerusalem uh, right now uh, is is second kings where Jerusalem is now. Or was Jerusalem in a different place? And if it was, how big was it?
2: Um, yeah. Um, first, it, it's it's um, your assumption was correct uh, earlier that you mentioned, but um, there's a lot of ground, and it's so a for for example, Nebuchadnezzar is is from Babylon, modern day Iraq. And uh, the distance between the two is, is 1678 yeah. miles. Now, I, I Googled that. I don't have that first-hand knowledge. But Jerusalem is 1678 miles from Jerusalem. So you can imagine, in the ancient world, going wow. to war and capturing, uh, conquering uh, foreign cities was no minor thing. And especially, Reuben, because when they had to go to. Um, um, and you're right, it was Solomon's Temple. That was the, the reference I was making. But when they had to go to these places, that's why the the, the sieges would last two, three, and even four years uh, because they they would surround these walled cities and prevent any supplies, weapons food, water, anything else from getting in. And, and literally, they would starve the people out. And uh, by the time when they had no food and people were dying and they were actually in Jerusalem eating their own children, um, um, hmm. you, can, you can imagine how brutal warfare was wow. in that time. Now, as you're reading these, the, 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 the Kings and Chronicles both will jump from a, a, a narrative on the northern tribes the ten tribes of, of Israel and then Judah in the south and um, what Assyria was to the northern tribes uh, God's instrument of judgment uh, what assyria was to the northern tribes Babylon this is about 586 BC Babylon was to the um, the southern tribes yeah. of Jerusalem and um, okay. and Nebuchadnezzar Reuben was the most brutal man um, most powerful dictator that has ever walked the face of the earth wow by far just a a brutal brutal man and and yet uh if you read daniel chapter 4 uh you'll read his born again testimony we're going to actually see nebuchadnezzar in heaven really oh yeah yeah he repented daniel uh i always say kiddingly that uh, Nebuchadnezzar in heaven is probably gonna be Daniel's valet because it's, <laughs> di- it's Daniel's example and Daniel's prayers that got him into heaven and if you go to chapter four there's a there's from chapter four I think through the first part of chapter seven it's written in Aramaic so it's it's Nebuchadnezzar's testimony about how he came to know the God of all the earth and and uh, it's it's just a great great story. I'm wow. actually, as I told you yesterday, I'm actually in uh, Second Kings, so we're going through that now. We're at the point where we're studying the 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 life of Hezekiah, and uh, Hezekiah was a wonderful wonderful case study. Okay,
3: okay. Well, I I just wanted to know that. I I appreciate that, and um, uh have a surprise. That's all. I, that's all I want to tell you. I have a surprise, and just leave it at that. <laughs> okay, I was surprised for you <laughs> so just leave it at that, and uh uh, I just wanted to know that pastor okay
2: <laughs> thank you, God bless you, God bless you, okay, Bye. you know, my producer just uh, gave me some information Jerusalem in area today is just under fifty square miles, and of course, it was bigger than before the captivity, but um um you know, war wasn't easy. In the ancient world, in the in the spring, in the time when kings went to war, they, they had to deal with weather and all kinds of other things. And so it was always, always difficult. Very, very good question. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question that came in from Scott. He said, I have two questions in First Timothy 3. In verse 6, Paul writes, he must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. Does this mean that soon after Lucifer was promoted in heaven, he started diluting his mind with visions of grandeur over God? And then the second question, in verse 7, Paul, referring to overseers, says he must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. What does Paul mean by a good reputation with outsiders, and what is the trap that he refers to? Um, Scott, uh, th- these are the qualifications for pastors. That's that's very important. Uh, the qualifications for, for the office that we call a pastor, overseers, bishops, uh, were, were most commonly what they were referred to. Uh, in the early church, Uh, but that he must not be a recent convert and may become conceited is simply don't lay hands on somebody too quickly. Make sure that they're proven. Make sure that they've been tested. Make sure that they are above reproach. Now, this reference has nothing whatsoever to do with the devil and what he did. The devil, um, when the angels were given uh, free will, uh, like every other creation of God, they have to make a free will choice to serve the Lord. Now, in heaven, they didn't have that opportunity. Well, God obviously knew what was going on in Lucifer's heart. And uh, uh, I, I, I personally believe, Scott, very strongly that uh, this happened, the, the, the fall of Satan happened shortly after God created Adam and Eve. Uh, when um, God created Adam and Eve, he sa- saw that things. this was very good, he said. Uh, we know from Ephesians 2:10 that, that that human beings are the best thing God ever made, better than the angels. It was sort of the, the Greek word for workmanship is poema, and and it's it's just like we humans are God's expression of creative imagination. We're the expression of beauty that comes from the infinite mind of God, and I believe that was when Lucifer became uh, upset. Uh, up to that point, especially if you read Ezekiel 28 and more specifically in the King James Version uh, the description of Lucifer is that he was the most beautiful creation of all of God's angels and so Lucifer you know, flopping around heaven was simply um, the, the, the one that all the other angels admired the most um, but when he saw Adam and Eve he decided that he wanted to be greater than them then the way sin works sin is insane he wanted to cast his throne above the most high. he wanted to be God and so that's all he's doing and, and, and the reality here is that that if you lay hands on somebody too quickly and I have been guilty of this I think every pastor has been guilty of this at some point. We find a young man who's full of the Holy Spirit and full of zeal and, and he's, he's a gifted man. Uh, It happens not only in uh, uh, pastors, but but in other church ministries, especially those who are uh, visible, uh, worship leaders in particular. Uh, You can see these men get carried away with themselves. Instead of worshiping God, it becomes about themselves and their ministry, and it's because of conceit. Uh, Paul himself said that he suffered with uh, conceit, Um, That's why the thorn in the flesh was given to him, a messenger of Satan, to keep him from becoming conceited because of his surpassingly great revelations. So that's all he's saying. When you choose a pastor uh, or a ministry leader, make sure that that man, uh, or in the case of non-pastors, a woman, make sure that they've been tested. Young men especially have egos. And ego has got to be done away with. Ego has got to be dealt with. We've got to walk in humility. We've got to walk in submission to God. And young men, especially, Scott, have a difficult time with that. So that's all he was talking about there, Um, uh, the qualifications for an elder. Now, regarding to the same office, the overseers of verse 7, to say that he must have a good reputation with outsiders um, what we don't want to do is is lay hands on somebody and they've got a, a messy life. Uh, I'll give you an example of pastors whose uh, credit ratings are horrible. Uh, pastors who owe people money and don't pay back. Uh, pastors who are doing things they think in secret, but they always come out because God makes sure they always come out. Uh, we want to be sure that we're not um, harming the name of God or the ministry of God because somebody that we name a pastor can you imagine coming into a church and there's a pastor teaching the Bible and, and you look at that man and you say look I just saw you or maybe it was a creditor I just called you to try to get some money that you rightfully owe me and this is how you treated me um, that would would, would ruin um, the, that man's ability to minister to people who are outsiders, by that he means unbelievers. So that's what it is. Let me tell you a quick story. Do not have anybody waiting on the phone, um, uh, Scott? The, the uh, um, years ago now. Uh, I do have somebody waiting on the phone. Okay, let me let me take that first, and I'll come back and tell that story. Let's go here to Ray on line three. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
4: Hello, Pastor Ron. Um, I'm curious in uh, in Luke uh, mentions a a couple people uh, that uh, Jesus uh, raised from the dead but Lazarus he waited uh, four days or more to uh, make sure his point was getting across that he was really dead and and explanation on that was that, uh, the, the common assumption was that the spirit hung around, a, a deceased person for several days until they started to decompose or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, if you could just clear that up, uh, for me that, uh, I'm, I'm assuming that there were three raised from the dead and, uh, no more. So I'll I'll let you uh, fill me in on that.
2: Okay, thank you, Ray. Good question. You know, Ray, a couple of things. One, we can't assume that there weren't more. Uh, the ones that we have reported on, of course, we know for sure. But remember, in in the end of the Gospel of John, uh, John says, "And he did so many miracles that if they were all to be written down, they would cover." all of the, the, they would take all the books or all the paper in the world and certainly couldn't do that. So the the miracles that were reported on are just the miracles that we know for sure occurred, but there were many, many, many more that did that. So uh, I think that's really important to remember that we don't, we don't have the whole story. We just have the story that the Holy Spirit chose to reveal to us. Now, uh, Ray, the, 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 the the miracles uh the the, the uh, raising of Lazarus from the dead uh th- that was all about timing now you remember that was at Jesus at the end of Jesus's ministry he was getting ready to go to the cross and uh and this was sort of a a, a big splash that he was making uh, Lazarus was obviously a very well-known uh wealthy influential Jew there would always be people around And when he waited four days, the the actual superstition of Jews at the time was that the spirit of a person that has died would hover around the body for four days. So uh, from a Jewish perspective, for, for four days um they would they would think well there's still a chance we can try to raise him from the dead it's possible and they would mourn and they would grieve and they would call on the Jewish religious leaders would try to but 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 after 4 days it was no possible chance so jesus waited those 4 days to make sure that when he arrived in bethany and when he walked to that tomb and asked them to remove the stone Everybody knew, no, too much time has gone by. This is impossible. And this was just another case of Jesus doing that which was impossible. And, of course, we know that Lazarus, after he'd been risen from the dead, actually became a target of the religious leaders. And the reason he was a target of the religious leaders is because uh, he was a very effective evangelist. Can you imagine when Lazarus wanted to speak and everybody wanted to talk to him? We can only imagine the questions they would ask. But when when uh, Lazarus would speak, everybody would listen. He would say, I'm here because I was dead. And as you know, I'm alive and and nobody could deny his testimony. Nobody could deny his testimony. So that particular miracle ray was nothing more than timing and Jesus sort of going out on a big splash. And uh, that's exactly what he did. Good, good question. You know, one of the things I think sometimes we get caught up um, thinking that we're limited to Jesus' ministry was limited to what was in the Bible. And that's just not the case. There's so many more things that Jesus did. Uh, so many more examples. Uh, I, I think uh, when we get to heaven, we're, we're actually going to get to view all of those things. You know, we live outside of time and space. We'll see all the things that Jesus did, and we'll fall on our faces and we'll worship Him. But the reality is that uh, there was so much more to Jesus's ministry than we have reported to us. Never forget, especially as you're studying your Bible. Never forget that we don't have everything that he did. We only have the things that God the Holy Spirit decided we needed to have in order to believe that Jesus really was who he said he was, and he did what he came to do. We are the beneficiaries, the benefactors of all of those works, and, uh, and everybody is without excuse. Everybody is without excuse. Great question, Ray. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left. I'm going to tell you a quick story at the top of the break. And um, we will be back on the other side. This is the word to stand on for life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. We will be back in two minutes.
1: back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. Now here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
2: Welcome back to the second half of our Wednesday show. Remember Bible study tonight, second Kings in chapter 18 and Paula live in studio with us tomorrow as usual on Thursday. I told you, I going to tell you a quick story. You know, when Scott Answer, sent the question about having a good reputation with outsiders. Here's why it's really important. Um, years ago, um, I was preaching um, my three services, and at the end of second service, I can, I can see this woman and I don't see very well. I think most of you know that. Um, my vision wasn't as bad then as it is now, but I could see her kind of sneaking up in the aisle, and it was being done in a way that that was just unusual. And so she's coming up the aisle, and, and she gets close enough to me that she can see for sure, and she puts her hands on her face, and she goes, it's true. God can make a preacher out of a car dealer. Now, this woman worked for me. Ten years earlier, she worked for me in Phoenix, Arizona, and I was the biggest jerk in the world. And when she came, just as circumstances would have it, she came to our church, saw me preaching the second service, and she just thought, boy, there's something familiar about him. Is it possible? No, it can't be. Um, but but she had to see a dramatic transformation. Imagine what it would have been like if she comes in and sees me, and I'm still the same jerk that I used to be. Um, but But she was able to see what God had done. So... Uh, That was neat time, neat time. By the way, they stayed around the church for a long time before they moved out of town. Here's a question from Mark in Austin. Have you ever prayed over someone who was possessed by a demon? Um, Yeah, Mark, I have. Unfortunately, it's not a fun thing to do, uh, but I have prayed for uh, people that were demon-possessed and encountered people that were demon-possessed a long time. Now, one of the things that we need to remember is that if the host of the demon, and that's the person, If that person is unwilling to receive Jesus Christ, it's not a good thing. It's not a a good thing for the person if you cast a demon out. Um, Jesus said that if a a demon is cast out, it's going to come back to its former place, its former house. If he finds it empty, and by that Jesus meant not occupied by the Holy Spirit, then he's going to go get seven other demons more powerful than himself, and the, the situation will be worse um, then than it was at the beginning. So, um, you know, I, I found that the Holy Spirit really gives me opportunities to sort of ferret through the demon and gives me a moment of clarity that I can talk with the person. And I'll ask them, look, I'll, I'll take care of this, but uh, I'm not going to do it if you're not ready to receive Jesus Christ. And, and usually then they'll flip out. And I, I've only had one person in that instance Um, uh, Mark, say that that yes, they were ready and that demon was gone and it was instant. I don't have to do anything. The minute they receive Jesus Christ, that demon flees. Uh, But yes, I have prayed over people who are possessed by a demon. Uh, Paul and I, our first ministry was in a nursing home uh, together in Claremont, California. This is even before I went to Bible college. And uh, there was a, a lady in there, a very old lady in there, uh, who was demon-possessed, and when I would start teaching or Paula would start singing, she would just start screeching, making these horrible, horrible noises. And one day I was teaching a passage, and Paula went over and put her hand on this girl's shoulder and just said, it's okay, her name was Judy, it's okay, Judy. And as soon as she did, Judy's eyes went crazy wild. I mean, it was like a almost like a cartoon character. Eyes went crazy wild, and Paula instantly got sick, instantly got sick. And I knew exactly what had happened, and so um, uh, I, I was able to talk to this Judy just long enough to see: Are you are you ready to receive Jesus Christ? And then the demon took over again, and she started in a wheelchair. They all have wheelchairs, and she was she was going so fast in that wheelchair just to get away from us. So yes, Mark, I've I've prayed for several people over the years, many in fact, who are possessed by a demon. Let's go to John on line one. John from San Antonio, thank you for holding. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor
5: Ron. Um, I, I think we would all agree that the resurrection is probably the, the single most important um, event for for us as believers. I mean, Christ died. He was born and died. But when he rose, that was a significant um, aspect of his, mm-hmm. of his being. So um, how do you... Uh, how do you approach the um kind of like the confusion of the 3 days and 3 nights that uh if there's if you think it is confusion i mean i've studied some about the quadradesimens in history um how how do you believe the bible um teaches on that uh on on, on jesus actual or discrepancy of you know 3 days yeah. and 3 nights yeah
2: uh, john I, I 3 days and 3 nights is a jewish way of saying Three days, any part of a day in Jewish thought, any part of a day was considered a day. Just like if I said to you, um, you know, yesterday, John, you called and we had a great conversation. Uh, That's not specific, uh, whether it be called in the morning, called in the afternoon, or we had a a conversation at some other time. Uh, We would just say, well, yesterday on on Tuesday, uh, I spoke with John. Um, But but Tuesday just means sometime during the day. Well, in Jewish thought, that's a very Jewish way of saying, uh three days. It, it's Jesus when he was saying it'll be like it was the sign of Jonah who was three days and three nights in the in the the, the belly of the fish. Um, in Jewish thought, it didn't have to be three 24 hour days. So it's it's I think very straightforward, and I think people really stumble over this and get tripped over it. Um, it it's just that we know Jesus uh, was put in the tomb on a Friday. Uh, remember, the Jewish day starts at 6 o'clock or, or, or dusk as the sun goes down. So what we would say is Thursday night um, at 6 o'clock, that would be Friday. Um, any part of the day Friday would, would say that's one day. Uh, not 24 hours, but any part of the day. We also know that he was in that tomb on Saturday. His body was in that tomb Saturday. Um, ostensibly the, the entire time. And then on Sunday, the first day of the week, we know that he came out very early in the morning. But we also remember that that, that started at midnight on Saturday night. That would be uh, Sunday uh, for, for a Jew. That's why the women could come out on, uh, after the Sabbath was over. So he was in the tomb uh, on, on Friday, um, a part of Friday, uh, large part of Friday. He was in the tomb all day on Saturday, and his body was in the tomb for part of Sunday morning. So that's three days in Jewish thought. We get tripped up, John, because we think that has to mean three 24-hour days, and, and the math just doesn't work there. So I think when we, we're we reading the Word, um, we have to understand the context um, of the passage, we need to understand what the general understanding was uh, in regard to um, the the counting of time or the accounting of time. Johnny, you still with us? Does that make sense?
5: Yeah, yes. Yeah, so I I have never um, you know thought of it in that perspective, but um, yeah, very very much. And uh, sometime we'll come out and visit you. Actually, we 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 uh, my wife and I, uh, Alma, we we knew you way back when in the in the. 97. we visited with oh, you, wow. and it's just been a while, so uh, you probably don't remember us, but um, yeah, we had lunch with
2: you and all that stuff. So,
5: oh, well I hear your voice. And,
2: well, I can promise you, John, if I saw you, if we had lunch together, uh, I promise you that I would be able to recognize you. I would love to see you again. That would be really, really nice.
5: Yeah, we'll come out some Friday. My all son right. is a youth pastor now, and um, and uh, I think I, he, he would like to, to visit some, some Friday night.
2: Praise the Lord. God bless you. Things have changed a lot Amen. since 1997.
5: Yeah. Well, God bless you both.
2: Thank you, man. Appreciate it very, very much. Wow, people haven't seen me since 97. He's gonna look at me and say, "What has happened to you?" <laughs> That's an amazing thing. You know, I think in in just studying these things, there's always people saying, "Well, he wasn't in the tomb three full days." Uh, It never said he was. Uh, And again, you've got to understand the writer's intent, his understanding of the time. And uh, we're not talking about a a very specific 24 hour period of time or a total of 72 hours. And then Jesus came uh, out of the out of the tomb. So parts of three days would be the same thing as three full days. Uh, That's what it says. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Trey. He says, I'm reading the Bible to my kids. Their ages are 9 and 11. And they complain about it being boring every time. Should I give up? Trey, here's where you have an opportunity to teach your children a lesson about respect. They need to respect their father. And you need to let him know with consequences that there's not going to be any disrespect that's going to be permitted. And you just tell him and you tell him proudly, I'm going to give account to Jesus of how I love you and how I protect you and how I prepare you for the world that you're going to get into. So I don't care if it's boring or not. This is what we're going to do. And you're going to be here. And I would add, and you're going to like it and and God will intervene, But but don't even entertain giving up you just keep reading the Bible you know Trey when I grew up there was a kid on my street named Jerry Brown and um, he was uh, a Jewish kid Um, and while all the other kids were playing every day he had to go in at four o'clock and he would spend two hours and those hours were one um, taking Hebrew lessons and then the second hour was piano practicing piano. He was a pianist. And, uh, you know, we say, oh, come on, Jerry, you can stay out and play. We're having fun. We're playing a game. And he would say, nope, got to go. His parents didn't give him a choice. Turned out to be a great pianist. He spoke multiple languages. And then I wonder, well, why didn't you make me do that, mom and dad? Um, so do what they what's best for them. Don't do what they want. Don't do what they want and then use this as an opportunity to teach them about respect. That's very, very important, Trey. Thank you very much for the question. Here's an anonymous question. He or she says, I have a bad habit of cussing. I don't mean to, but the words just come out. Well, you got to break the bad habit. As a believer, um, let no corrupt communication come from your mouth. Jesus says that what is what comes out of your mouth comes out of your mouth because that's what's in your heart. And there's, here's where you've got to be real with the Lord, Anonymous. You've got to say, that filth is in my heart, Lord. I'm sorry, that filth is in my heart, Lord, and I don't want it there. And, and, and you've got to make a, a decision. I'm not going to give in to this because it dishonors God. And you know, we live in a culture where language is so filthy, so vile, And people don't even think about it anymore. You know, it kills me when I see people who are newscasters or uh, politicians. And you see them on TV. And their language and their vocabulary is stellar, you know. Um, But then you'll see them on a podcast or something. And they just filthy language that comes out. Because, well, you can do that online. And I just think, what's wrong with those people? They're diminishing any credibility that they might have. And, you know, we just don't think of language as that big a deal. But God thinks it's a very big deal, Anonymous. So this is something that you've got to break out of. Another quick story. Uh, When I got saved, um, uh, you know, I was a baseball player, uh, wanted to play professional baseball, wasn't good enough. Um, But, you know, baseball players, locker room talk. I cussed all the time. Then I got in the car business. And, and people in the car business, the language was horrible. I had a filthy mouth. I mean, filthy mouth. I got saved 1991. And in the 32 years, almost 32 years, that I've been saved, anonymous, I've only had one cuss word come out of my mouth. Only one. And God used that one cuss word. I was shocked, by the way. It happened at Bible college, and I was shocked. I didn't plan it. It wasn't something that conscious. The word just came out. And that was God just showing me, you think all that junk is out. It's not. you got to deal with your heart. And I dealt with that. And I dealt with it. I, my, I was devastated that that filth could come out of my mouth, and especially in front of somebody else. But even more than that, the picture Jesus gave me was that between the, the, the man I was talking to and and me, Jesus was right there between us. And that filth that came out of my mouth polluted him. It, it came on him before it got to the ears of the person that I was talking to. And it just broke me. I mean, it literally broke me. Um, and... Um, You know, we've got to be aware. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We don't have to give in to the lies of the enemy. We don't have to, to, to fall into the same habits everybody else does. But Anonymous, you've got to be with Jesus instead of being around people in this world. It's just that simple. If you're hanging around people that knew you before you got saved and you sound like you did just now as you did when you weren't saved, why are they going to want to hear anything about Jesus from you? So this isn't a minor deal. This isn't a small thing at all. So it's something that you've got to deal with. So I hope that is clear. It's not okay. I get frustrated. There are <clears throat> pastors and other public Christians, you know, who want to be cool. You no, know, well, let just let's get real. Um, it's not being real, to cuss. It's being ignorant. It's being sinful, and it's just being a jerk. So fix it. Martin asks, Pastor Ron, can I have your view of churches who have multiple sites and watch the pastor on a screen? Um, Martin, uh, you know, uh, who am I to judge somebody else's servant? But I'm not a, I'm not a fan of this. Um, we've planted a lot of churches. It never occurred to me to stream our our live service into other locations Uh, when we started a church or planted a church in another city um, we sent a pastor with them people need a pastor and no matter what you call yourself you cannot be a pastor to people that you're not in front of it's that simple um i love the title of pastor on i really do it's 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 one of the greatest honors of my life. Um, but but I'm not a pastor to people who, who can't talk to me. And I just think this idea of, um, of uh, making ourselves celebrities or stars, uh, I think there's so much ego involved. And again, I can't judge anybody's heart. Uh, I realize that there's a lot of people who think this is an effective way to reach multitudes of people, uh, but what they really need most of all is a pastor. And so I'm not a fan at all of that. Um, I guess I'm kind of old-fashioned in that regard. Uh, Technology can be great, but I also think that technology um, takes away the the personal touch in many, many cases, and this is one of those cases. So I've got friends who do this, um, they, they certainly obviously wouldn't share my opinion uh, but uh, I want to know the people that I'm ministering to I want to be able to, um, to touch them, to hug them um, I want them to know um, that they can count on me and you can't do that if you're just an image on a screen I just think that's not a healthy spiritual environment Here's a question from January. Is abiding in Christ a work that we get credit for or a work that makes God love us more? Um, no, abiding in Christ is, is as necessary as breathing for a Christian. If we're not abiding in Christ um, January, then there's, there's, there's nothing of value that we have to offer. Jesus said, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. And so abiding in Christ is just having a relationship. Now, I don't know how long, January, this is the first time you've called uh, to the program, Uh, but um, if you've been listening at all, you've heard me say, just be with Jesus. That's abiding in Christ. Be with with him. uh, Be full of the Holy Spirit. Walk in obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. And, and that's not a work. That's simply instructions. The Apostle Paul says it is God who both works to do, to, to will and to do uh, in and through us. So this is God's initiative. He wants to hang out with us. And uh, so it's not anything that we do that we get credit for. It It's, it's essential for a vibrant, healthy, abundant life that Jesus promised us. Now, Abiding in Christ doesn't make God love us more. The answer, no. You, God can't love you any more than He loves you now. God's love is infinite. Um, God's love is is a, it can't decrease or increase. Um, the The result, however, of not abiding in Christ is that you can't enjoy the love of God as much as somebody who's abiding in Christ. You know, we'd love to be able to say, "Oh, God loves everybody the same," and and He does. Infinitely, but if that love doesn't have any practical benefit for me, if I'm not abiding in Christ, then I'm doing my own thing, and uh, and and I can't enjoy that love. It's like God saying, uh, "Esau, uh, Jacob, I loved and Esau, I hated." Now we know God is love, so we know that He didn't hate Esau the way we would hate him. But what He's saying is that because Jacob will love me, and Jacob will eventually obey me and fulfill his destiny and because Esau didn't care enough about me to, to uh, um, he sold me for a bowl of stew sold his birthright for, for a bowl of stew um, my love for Esau has no benefit to Esau and that's what he meant there so it's not a work January it doesn't make God love us more but abiding in Christ certainly allows you to love God more and one of the prayers every day in my life is, Lord, I want to love you more today than I've ever loved you before. And that's impossible, apart from abiding in Christ. Good question. We got five minutes left. Let's see what I got next. Here's a question from Miguel um, Why isn't God more clear on pre tribulation versus post tribulation rapture and Calvinism, Arminianism, etc.? Um, Miguel, I think God is pretty clear. What you're confusing is that there are a lot of people with different opinions. Um, um, What you need to do is you need to open your Bible, read what it says. Don't interpret what it says, read what it says. Um, The the evidence for a pre-tribulation rapture of the church uh, is overwhelming, consistent with God's nature and his character. Certainly God couldn't judge us twice and the, the wrath of God, the great tribulation, is God's judgment on a Christ-rejecting world. Well, we haven't rejected Christ. Our sins have already been judged uh, and paid for. Uh, so it's impossible, according to the nature of God. What did Abraham say to, the, to Jesus in Sodom and Gomorrah? Is it possible for the righteous judge of all the earth to punish the righteous with the wicked? Jesus could have said, you know, I can punish whoever I want, but he didn't. He said, nope, I can't do that. And so, uh, I mean, and there's a lot more on pre trib versus post trib, but um, just, just, The teaching on it is pretty clear. Don't confuse yourself with a bunch of different interpretations. Just figure it out, Miguel, for yourself. Same thing is true with Calvinism and Arminianism. Both of them are extreme positions. And I have said often on this program that the truth uh, between extreme positions is always going to be found in the balance in the middle. And so um, just just open your Bible. God will be really clear. And that may take you some time to figure it out. But God wants it to take you some time. He wants you to study it. He wants you to get it in his heart. And um, I've been walking with Lord now for almost 32 years. And the reality, Miguel, is that these questions are super clear to me and biblically provable, and uh, God wants to do that work in you, but rather than making it easy, God wants you to sort of dig in for a little bit. i got time for one more question. We'll do this. It's anonymous. How should a Christian handle same-sex attraction? The answer is by saying no. The same way that God would say to a Christian who is heterosexual, who is tempted by heterosexual sin, say no. It's that simple. Uh, We live in a fallen world. The reality is that there are people who are same-sex attracted, but you can't follow Jesus and give in to those temptations. If you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to say no to the things of the flesh so that you can say yes to the things of God. And remember, when we do something that's really hard, when we give it up because we love Jesus more, nothing pleases him more than that. Nothing pleases him more than that. So please, please, please understand that God doesn't ask a, a Christian who has same-sex attraction um, to, to do things that are any more difficult than he asks people that are heterosexual in their attractions. Just say no to your flesh so that you can say yes to God and you can live in that abundant life. The fact that you're still same-sex attracted to somebody simply means you're going to have to be vigilant you're going to have to, to, to be prepared for the spiritual warfare that you're going to encounter. And you got to stay close to Jesus. Good questions. Hey, thanks for tuning in. A reminder, tomorrow, Paula will be live in studio on the day-to-day edition of the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then.